Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on my last podcast, I talked about the Land Pavilion. But there were a few follow-ups to do, and I'll be doing those over the next several podcasts. Now, the first was to talk about the movie Symbiosis, which was in the Harvest Theater on the right side of the pavilion up on the second floor. Since the land was about the Earth and man's connection to it, This movie was intended to delve into that connection. The movie focused on the balance between technological expansion and the protection of the environment. The film showed environmental damage caused by humans and what is being done to fix the damage that's been created. It was shot in 70mm and shown on a 23 by 60 foot screen in the Harvest Theater. Oddly, it was shown at 30 frames per second where most films in that format went at 24 frames per second. It meant that the pacing was a little faster as it was shown, and the image was a little crisper on the screen, so it gave a little bit more dramatic effect. Now, the theater itself was movie-sized, seating about 550 or so people. The film itself was directed by Paul Gerber. Now, as it happens, Gerber was the brother-in-law of Marty Sklar, so he had a lot of connection there to get in and do these films. He was generally regarded as, as an exacting type of person and wanting perfection out of his art. He didn't so much have a script as he did an outline as he was developing symbiosis. And he went off around the world with a film crew to get footage. From rice paddies in Asia to forests in America, the story is that he went two times around the world while shooting this film. Symbiosis took an astounding 43 weeks to film. The filming crew was usually eight people or less, and they used two handheld Panavision cameras. Symbiosis was the first film to be mixed digitally at Walt Disney. Production teams scouted locations in 22 countries and found locations in 18 countries that appear in the film. They include Canada, Egypt, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Israel, Italy, Kenya, Norway, Peru, the Philippines, Sweden, Switzerland, Tahiti, and of course the United States. Gerber himself said of the film at one point, I wanted a contemplative, majestic experience with moments of quiet beauty, but also with moments of violent action. The music for the film was composed by Patrick Gleason, a pioneer in synthesizer styles, who worked at one point with Herbie Hancock and at another point with Devo. And I think that sense of the music is reflected in there. And part of the reason they selected him was this Paul Gerber wanted this different feel to the film. He wanted it to be different. He wanted it to be unique and stand out in some way. And so by hiring Gleason to do the music, it was very different from most Disney films. It had a different feel to it in a lot of ways because it didn't have that usual sort of uh, storytelling that Disney was used to or that we're used to from Disney. It was a different type of storytelling that fit well within the thematics of what they were trying to do and fit well into into the future world part of Epcot. But it was just different. It had a different feel to it. The film script was ultimately written by Gerber, but Philip L. Clark provided the voice. 
Now, he's a voice actor who's appeared in many cartoons and other series where he could lend his voice uh, and you did never see him. I'll put a link to the movie in my show notes page, but allow me to say that the work Gerber did on the film is nothing short of amazing. He covered so much ground and did a masterful job of telling how man and earth coexist. Now, one last thing before I play the audio from the film. His original edit was about 25 minutes long, but Disney executives wanted to shorten it to closer to 15. Through a lot of back and forth, they finally agreed on about a 17-minute film that it would allow it to run three times an hour. So now, without further ado, let's listen to the audio that goes along with the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Catherine, and once again, I'd like to welcome you to the Harvest Theater. Just a reminder, we ask that you please refrain from eating, drinking, smoking, and the use of flash photography. And now, Kraft and Walt Disney Productions proudly present Symbiosis, a creative partnership. Nothing in the universe exists alone. Every drop of water, every human being, all creatures in the web of life and all ideas in the web of knowledge are part of an immense, evolving, dynamic whole, as old and as young as the universe itself.
virtues in the web of life, all ideas in the web of knowledge. surrounded us with monuments to our enthusiasm for changing the environment, an enthusiasm prompted by the most basic of all motivations, survival. Certainly nothing less motivated the Ifugao tribe to undertake the terracing of these magnificent mountains in the Philippines over 3,000 years ago. It was a simple, direct answer to the food problem of their time. But what of the food problem of our time? The International Rice Research Institute, less than 125 miles from the Ifugao and their terraces. Here, research into the very chemistry of growing things, coupled with the permanent cold storage of every type of rice seed known to exist, gives scientists the opportunity to create new, more productive, easier to grow strains of rice. Yesterday's technology and today's only 125 miles, but 3,000 years of time lie between. North Africa and the Middle East. Not land, but water has always been the missing element. For thousands of years, the people here have used all their ingenuity to make the best use of what little could be found. And nothing has changed, except the approach. In one such new approach, plastic irrigation tubing is laid on apparently useless land in Israel. And computers reading information provided by sensors in the fields control the flow, delivering the water to where it is most needed, drop by precious drop. And the desert blooms. Yes, the desert blooms. But if the problem here has always been too little water, elsewhere it's another story. Not too little, but too much. Thank you. 
judgment approaches art. Quake today, Holland's windmills were actually built as part of what is now an incredibly elaborate 900-year-old water removal system. A system without which more than half this country would be underwater. A system still being built. sophisticated hydraulic laboratories are now creating Holland's enormous new Southern Delta flood control system. Planning everything down to the minutest detail on models that belie the project's immense scale. Interventions have not always been so benign. With an unbridled enthusiasm for technology, we misused our farmlands, watching helplessly as our precious topsoil blew away in the dust bowl or washed away in the rain. We misused our forests, watching helplessly as barren hillsides created floods where there were none before. our lakes, rivers, and streams to dispose of our wastes, and looked on helplessly as they began to die. But then, finally, we decided that this tragic waste could not go on, that we would have to take charge of our technology if we were to coexist with it. And then, more importantly, we actually began to do it. In England, where after hundreds of years of pollution so severe, no fish remained in the River Thames, 20 years of intense effort to restore it to health have seen the fish begin to return. At Europe's Lake Constance, where the cooperation of three nations, Switzerland, Germany, and Austria, was required to save the lake from the ravages of population growth on its shores. where the Willamette River, also under the pressures of population growth and industrial expansion, was dying. But now the oxygenation ponds prepare industrial water for safe return to the river. And because of new concepts like these, and the laws that require their use, the Willamette runs clean again. And constant monitoring of the river's water promises to keep it useful, healthy, and safe for everyone.
our forests. What have we learned from our past mistakes with our forests? Much. From Germany's Black Forest, successfully managed for over 600 years. From the well-managed forests of Sweden. unmistakably clear. No forest is big enough to withstand unassisted the onslaught of technological man. unassisted. And so we assist, using nature's own eternal tool, fire. tomorrow's forests and then waiting to the dust bowl. 
this. To what do we owe this remarkable recovery? In large part, ironically enough, to technology. To the technology of irrigation, using our water resources with greater care and effectiveness. To the technology of no-till farming, planting crops without plowing in order to protect the topsoil. And to the technology of planting nothing at all, fallow field farming, giving the soil precious time to regenerate its own fertility before being used again. Yes, we have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. For although chemicals and pesticides are vital tools in fighting world hunger, will we employ adequate foresight to ensure that some do not again turn up in the food chain or environment? How much longer will more than one-fourth of the world's food supply rot on the ground or be ruined by pests, simply because of a lack of proper storage or delivery systems? How much more of the world's precious arable land will be made useless by poor planning or uncontrolled development? And how much more of the world's rain will fall bearing pollutants that poison our lakes, rivers, and streams? For many of these problems, solutions already exist. For others, they can be found. It is within our power to address these issues. It is within our power to use or to abuse, to ruin or restore, to marshal or to waste. What is needed is the will. For every drop of water, every human being, all creatures in the web of life, nothing in the universe exists alone. Symbiosis ended its long run in the Land Pavilion's Harvest Theater in January 1995 when the pavilion changed sponsors to Nestle. The film has since been shown at film festivals specializing in the 70mm format. Among others, Symbiosis was shown at the widescreen weekend in Bradford, England in uh, the National Media Museums Festival in 1998 and at the 8th Todd AO Festival at the Schauburg uh, October of 2012 in Karlsruhe, Germany. Now, I have a couple of reviews here I wanted to read for you. This one was by Mark Mancini in Film Comment. His synopsis was, A sweeping look back at the history of man's relationship with the environment around the planet, from the very primitive to the distinctly exotic to the technologically inventive to the uh, thoughtlessly destructive, examining both the short-sighted failures that have led to grave consequences and the visionary hopes that drive a search for greater wisdom and balance. The most eloquent widescreen motion picture at Epcot's is Symbiosis. It had to be. Thrown by only one conventional 70mm projector and unpropped by technological claptrap, the film powerfully presents the delicate balance between scientific progress and environmental integrity. Symbiosis is at times too self-conscious in its visual and dialectic perspectives, but Gerber shows his dexterity with well-composed images, even-handed exposition, metaphorical editing, and a daredevil's love for a heady aerial motion. 
a large screen and 30 frames per second projection enhanced Gerber's essays on man's equivocal relationship with nature, but the film's most breathtaking moment would probably work on a TV screen. Beginning with a calm close-up of an Indian on horseback, the camera draws back across the lake, past ripples, rocks, bushes, gains frantic velocity, and suddenly drops over the top of a towering concrete dam. The visual contrast between nature and technological momentum in this one take could hardly be more forceful. And then a second review by Greg Tozian uh, of On Location. The Land, filmmaker Paul Gerber has created a scrumptious looking movie that fits perfectly into the environmentally knowing Land Pavilion with screening in its 550 seat Harvest Theater. Gerber's 17 minute plus film Symbiosis is a classic affirmation that the effective film can be made by someone with equal devotion to science and art. It explores the mutually dependent relationship between man and nature, and it doesn't disregard man's frequent rape and injustices toward the natural world we live in. Full advantage is taken of an educational narrator, and the layered live sound recording uses the 13 track speaker system to wonderful effect. Herein lies some of Epcot Center's most beautiful footage, as lovely as anything in Hollywood's most painterly films. These memorable images were captured in a staggering 53-week shooting schedule in more than 20 countries, including France, Germany, Switzerland, Peru, Tahiti, and Kenya. Eric Saarinen was the director of uh, photography. Now, one other interesting thing I'd like to point out. Paul Gerber had the distinction of having three movies running at Epcot in the 1980s and into the mid-90s. He had, of course, Symbiosis that I've talked about here, but he also created the epic film at the Living Seas about how the oceans were formed. And he also did the film about Norway that was played after the Maelstrom. And he used these three shows, Symbiosis in particular, as his body of work. He was said to have brought producers into, into the theater, especially for Symbiosis, and had them watch the film as a sort of visual resume. What a, what a cool thing. I mean, you just kind of think about that as one of those interesting things. He would actually bring, bring people to Epcot to watch his films so he could actually gauge their reactions and let them see it in all its glory. What a great resume that is, isn't it? When you can show it that way and you can, you can tell people, this is what I do. This is my art. So there you go. That is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 